This week on the Geek Explained podcast, we're talking about the news on Joaquin Phoenix's Joker solo film. But first, a retrospective on one of the greatest Joker stories of all time, The Killing Joke. The Joker. He's Batman's arch nemesis. He's one of the most famous comic book villains of all time, and he's the focus of today's episode. He has been in the news quite a bit recently. Uh, I don't know if you have heard, but there is a film now officially greenlit and under production by uh, DC and Warner Brothers on a solo origin story for the Joker starring Joaquin Phoenix. Uh, the news broke this past week, though Joaquin has been tiptoeing around the idea of being officially signed on for the film for a while now. I want to say we've, uh, we've kind of been expecting this since earlier in the year, and we've basically just been waiting for an official announcement. But before we get into that, before we talk about that stuff, I also wanted to kind of touch on a pretty big milestone, because for those of you who don't know, this year marks 30 years since Alan Moore and Brian Boland put together The Killing Joke. Uh, the Killing Joke is one of the most famous Batman and Joker stories of all time. Uh, it's iconic. Uh, a lot of people who have either played the Joker or gotten into uh, Batman, whether it be playing Batman or just getting into comics in general, look to this as the definitive Joker story. I don't know if I do personally, but it's, a, it's iconic and it's something that sticks with you for a while after you've read it. Uh, recently, a movie came out, I want to say one, two, two years ago, maybe three, uh, and it's polarizing, to say the least, but we will get into that. Uh, I wanted to, since the Joker is kind of uh, in the headlines right now, I wanted to put a spotlight on this story. Our, our neighbor's dog is really excited to talk about the Joker. Uh, it's her favorite, favorite comic book villain. So, I wanted to put the spotlight on the Joker and on this story because we don't know exactly what uh, Joaquin Phoenix's Joker film is going to be about. We have little breadcrumbs on what it could be, which we will discuss a little bit later. But I wanted to basically focus on the killing joke as a story because... A lot of people hear the name, they've heard of it before, they know of it, but not everyone knows exactly what went into it and everything that goes into the actual story. So I'm going to break down the creation of the story, everything behind it, the background. We're going to go into a little bit of a synopsis for the story, and then we're going to compare and contrast the comic version versus the film version. 
And I know that it sounds incredibly hipster of me, but the, spoiler alert, the comic is way better than the film. But we will get into that later. So I'm uh, just going to give you a quick breakdown of the story itself. Uh, the Killing Joke was officially released as a one-shot comic in 1988. It was written by Alan Moore with art by Brian Boland and uh, John Higgins on colors. We'll get into that more later. I personally, I'm holding it in my hand right now, I my personal copy is the Deluxe Edition, which was released in 2008 to commemorate 20 years of the uh, Killing Joke. Oh, jeez. I just thought about this. I've had this book for 10 years. Wow. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> uh, what's interesting about the Deluxe Edition and why I recommend people look for it and pick it up if they do want to uh, grab the original story in its comic form is because of a few things. First of all, there's an it, there's a great retrospective intro uh, done by Tim Sale, who many of you will know as tied to stories that are also iconic in the Batman lore, stories like The Long Halloween, stories like Dark Victory. He took the time, went in, gave this little, I, I guess, um, like a little introduction for the story based on his, uh, his experience with the story. There's an outro by uh, Brian Boland himself, the artist, where he explains a lot of what he put into the story and it, kind of how the whole story came together. Uh, the Deluxe Edition also has a backup story called An Innocent Guy, which is uh, written and drawn by Boland. And it kind of, it's not really a uh, plug into the story, this is like the definitive epilogue, but Brian Boland posits it as a possible kind of uh, moment because as we'll get into in just a little bit the ending is pretty ambiguous so Brian Bullen wrote and uh, drew this story to kind of give himself closure on the story itself and the biggest change for this deluxe edition is that it was completely redone and recolored by Boland um, it's no big secret that the original coloring on this on this story was atrocious it is the pinnacle of 80s like splash art where like it's got bright like obnoxious colors for no reason and it's really kind of garish to look at so when they did this deluxe edition commemorating 20 years of the killing joke Bolin decided hey if we're going to do this, let me go in, let me recolor the entire thing. And what comes of it is a lot more muted colors, a lot cooler, uh, I guess, palette just in general. But they also go through and he did something that was really smart that I really enjoyed, where in all of the flashback sequences that, again, we'll get into in a little bit, he made them very muted, very dull in color, but accented little things here and there in uh, warmer colors and hues of red, hues of orange to, I guess, uh, draw your eye to them. And as the flashbacks, the story in the flashbacks uh, kind of goes on, more things start to become colorized until the very like last moment in the reveal when he becomes the Joker and it's 
amazing. The art's amazing. The coloring in this version is amazing. And um, I guess now is a good point to tell you that uh, there's going to be spoilers. If you haven't read the story, if you haven't seen the movie, do yourself a favor. Find someone who has a copy of this, or better yet, get it for yourself. Go to a comic shop, buy it on Amazon, uh, go to Comixology or any kind of comic reading app. Do yourself a favor and read this, because even though it might not be, I would say, in my personal top 10 Batman stories, it is an iconic story, and it's a story that everyone knows. So, pick it up, read it, come back here, and join us for the discussion. So, uh, moving on. What I really enjoy about this story, and what's really interesting, is that this story, when it originally came out in 1988, was part of the, was kind of the cap of this renaissance for Batman as a character and really comics as a whole because around this time uh early to mid 80s Batman's sales were not doing very well um it's no secret that DC Comics is a business and even though they are committed to making uh, great stories they also need to pay the bills they need to keep the lights on and batman just wasn't doing it for them so near the end of the 80s the editor-in-chief over at dc basically put it out to different creators to uh, do whatever they wanted with batman really to just kind of give it a kickstart anything to get people to start paying attention to and reading batman comics again so the latter half of the 80s was this amazing time. Uh, in 1986, you had The Dark Knight Returns. Again, a classic, classic, iconic Batman story, which really flipped the whole genre and really gave new life into Batman as a character. Uh, the very next year, there was Batman Year One, also done by Frank Miller. And again, it was something that people draw inspiration from even today even 30 years later when people look at a batman story they're like okay th this is the bar that i'm holding it to uh, also during both uh 1986 and 1987 watchmen came out for the first time which turned the entire comics industry on its head with its portrayal of dark realistic heroes and dealing with the situations that aren't always fixed in time for the credits to roll on a Saturday morning cartoon. So during this time, uh, Brian Boland was really looking for a way to draw Batman and the Joker. Uh, he was supposed to work with Alan Moore on a Batman Judge Dredd uh, kind of team-up book, but that didn't end up happening. And what's great about this story is that he looked throughout... Uh, Batman lore, Batman's history, and got fixated on this story, The Man Behind the Red Hood. This was a uh, this was a story in 1951, very early on in Batman's Adventures, which kind of depicts the character of the Red Hood. And in this story, the Red Hood ends up jumping off of a uh, kind of a platform in Ace Chemical, and we really don't know what happens to him. And so Brian Boland posited that maybe this is where the Joker began. So with this story idea, he approached Alan Moore to write it. Alan Moore was 
more than happy to put his stamp on a bat on a batman story when at the time batman was having this character resurgence in the comics and this story is also really notable for completely changing the course of barbara gordon's character both in comics tv what have you because this is the origin story essentially of her character oracle uh, during this, again, spoilers, during this story, uh, Barbara Gordon, who has been Batgirl up to this point, is paralyzed by the Joker and wanting to still uh, contribute to the hero's crusade on justice, she becomes basically this information center for the heroes, for the heroes of the DC universe. She becomes the person that they'll come to in case they need information, in case they need anything hacked in case they need uh histories on people anything electronic or uh anything technology based she became the utmost um the utmost expert on it and she really this uh this character change this character shift for her elevated her to top tier status in the dc universe and as strange as this is this story is the crux of that this is where her life changed and went towards that um that height of her character and of course with the reboots the new 52 and whatnot this kind of retroactively took that really amazing character development away from her but you can't look at barbara gordon without thinking oracle uh this wa this was a story that also led to the death of the family storyline where jason todd was killed as robin uh spoiler alert for another story that is over 30 years old um and as previously stated this is kind of held as the standard joker origin if you are going to write yourself a joker origin story you have to be at least as good as this if not better and as an origin story for the joker even though for me personally i would prefer him not to have an origin you can't do much better than this so that being said with the walking phoenix uh film now officially in production uh they're gonna have to do a lot to reach the heights that this story has reached and they might end up adapting certain aspects of it so what better way to give a baseline for what we are to expect in the walking phoenix film than to go through the original killing joke story so I'm going to start off with a brief synopsis of the story itself. We'll go through the story beats, and then we will compare and contrast both the original comic story as well as the animated feature film that uh, followed up many years later. But first, a quick synopsis. <sighs> Gotta get in my synopsis voice. <clears throat> He's the Batman's most implacable foe. A mad criminal genius whose bizarre rampages baffle even the world's greatest detective. But the Joker was not always this way. Before he became the Clown Prince of Crime, before a single, fateful day scarred his face and warped his mind forever, he was just the sort of person the Dark Knight has dedicated his life to protecting. A common man. What happened? 
to transform this average citizen into the greatest evil Gotham City has ever known? Can Batman stop the Joker from dragging Commissioner Gordon and his daughter Barbara into his world of murderous madness? And can these two enemies put a stop to their eternal duel before it's too late for the both of them? <sighs> so, that sounds intense, right? So, this story uh, is pretty pretty short <laughs> um it's as we'll get into that a little bit later but it is a it's actually like surprisingly short when you think about it i reread it uh in preparation for this episode and i was surprised i got through it in i mean maybe a half hour it, it's it's a fairly short story so uh we'll go through the story beats a little bit basically the story starts out with batman visiting the joker in arkham uh, pretty quickly, he addresses the fact that their fight might not have an ending without one or the both of them dying. And he has come here to plead with him to avert his course. He wants to come to an understanding with the two of them so that they can try and stop this endless cycle of um, of pain and torture before either one or both of them ends up dead. Uh, pretty quickly, though, he finds out that the Joker has escaped, and the Joker himself is in the process of purchasing a carnival. Uh, this carnival is broken down, it's dilapidated, the guy who's trying to sell it to him is really like shaky and he's this like poor dude who you can tell has tried to sold it multi or try to sell it multiple times and just can't seem to find a buyer because all of the rides could easily harm or maim anyone who tried to ride them uh he however the joker is more than happy to purchase the place probably for the reasons i just listed and he ends up killing the guy. Uh, it doesn't explicitly say that he's killed him, but he injects him with the uh, Joker toxin using similar to a hand buzzer, like the little uh, things that Joker always has in his palm that he straps to his glove and he like, you know, he'll zap somebody with a handshake. But he gives him a handshake and it injects him with the Joker, uh, Joker venom and the last really sh good shot that we see of the guy you can see that he's his skin is turned white his grin has become frozen on his face there's blood dripping down from his mouth it's like it's haunting stuff and there's a lot of haunting imagery in this book but pretty quickly throughout the story um we get flashbacks and we'll touch on a couple of them but he it the flashbacks set him up as this struggling comedian who is living on the wrong side of town with his uh his wife and his wife is i think it says like she's three months away from giving birth so uh the joker who i think remains nameless throughout this story even as his flashback self um uh, He's trying to make ends meet. He's a failure as a comedian, but he's trying to he's trying to do what essentially, I mean, a lot of us are trying to do in LA. We're trying to make it, we're trying to use our talent to um to further our goals and to rise through the ranks of the industry. 
but he continues to fail and he's got a lot of anger and pent-up frustration but his wife is more than happy to accept him for who he is and this leads on to um commissioner gordon commissioner gordon and his daughter barbara who is secretly batgirl are hanging out in their apartment they're having a conversation when they get a knock on the door and barbara goes to answer the door thinking it's her friend colleen ready for a uh, a rendezvous for the two of them to go to their yoga class and surprise it's the joker doesn't say a word doesn't say anything he just door opens and he fires a gun straight into barbara's stomach uh in the comic you see the bullet it's really this really graphic stuff our our neighbor's dog is shocked by the the events that are transpiring in this story <laughs> oh it's, it's like it's every every week man do you guys you can hear that right i'm sure you can it's gotta be anyway um so where was i oh okay so um so barbara the the comic shows the bullet go straight through her um joker makes some like really uh really poor in poor taste jokes like of course he would talking about how you know barbara thinks that she's a coffee table edition because she goes she immediately after getting shot falls through the coffee table he says you know the the um the jacket's damaged and the spine looks broken it's really like it's dark the story is very dark and um he proceeds to have jim beaten up carried away and the last moments of the scene are the joker unbuttoning barbara's blouse and it's assumed uh, i've heard differing opinions on this but it's assumed that this is where uh, the Joker undresses her and rapes her. So, again, very dark from the get-go. Dark story. Horrible, horrible events have already transpired and we're not even halfway through. So, following this, uh, we meet up again with Jim, who has been taken to the carnival. And he is undressed, so he is naked and they put a collar around him they put him on this like weird um carnival ride where they go through and they're on this little track it's kind of like if you've ever um if you've ever, ever been to disneyland and um you've ridden what's it called uh mr toad's wild ride so they put him on a little thing he goes through he sees screens and stuff and Joker sings him a little song while he's on this ride, and then all of a sudden the uh, the screens start to fill with pictures of Barbara in various states of undress, with blood everywhere, and it's it's horrifying. It's really truly horrifying, especially if you think about from the perspective of Jim, this is his daughter. So. Speaking of his daughter, we meet up back with Barbara in the hospital where uh, Batman has arrived after hearing about everything that's going on. Uh, the doctor says that the bullet pierced her spine and that she'll never be able to walk again. And uh, Bruce speaks with Harvey Bullock, who tells him that 
Barbara was found in a state of undress, and there was a lens cap left, or found, that didn't match any of the cameras in the apartment, so it's assumed that he undressed her, raped her, and then took pictures while he was doing the act, which again, awful, dark, terrible. Whew, it's heavy. So, um, Batman, you know, gets some alone time with her, he tells her that he's there she wakes up you know tears in her eyes she tells him you know he's not joking around now he's going for an end game he has her father and there was there's something there now there's something darker in his eyes and batman pretty quickly gets an invitation to come to the carnival and Upon arriving there, he finds Jim in a cage. He fights off uh, Joker's lackeys, Joker's goons, rescues Jim, and tells Jim that he's going to wait there with him because the police are on the way. And Jim tells him, no, you have to go after him. Joker, at this point, has escaped into the funhouse. And Batman basically goes after him with Gordon saying, you need to take him in by the book. After all of this torture, after all of this horrible, horrible uh, things that have happened to Jim, he's still, he's unflappable. He wants Joker brought in alive and by the book. So Batman really doesn't give him any promises that he will, but he goes into the funhouse to pursue the Joker. And what follows is, the bat, is a scene where Batman is working his way through the funhouse and the Joker is giving this monologue, and it's one of the most famous, talked-about Joker monologues in his storied history as a character. And it's actually really good. Like, there's there's moments where the Joker says, you know, uh, all it takes is one bad day to turn into me. That's all that's standing between me and ordinary people is one bad day. And he starts to talk about, you know, Something bad happened to you one day. That's all that. That's all it takes. He says something like, you know, girlfriend killed by the mob. Maybe your brother was carved up by some mugger. Like, what? Something happened to you. And he recounts, you know, something like that happened to me. And jumping off of that, we go into back into the flashbacks. Um, this is not in order. The flashbacks are, of course, laced throughout the story. But um, Joker at this point in the flashbacks let's go let's call him jack let's call him jack so he's jack in the flashbacks and joker in present day so jack is jack runs afoul of these uh these two mobsters who want to use him jack used to work for the ace chemical factory and these mobsters want to use his knowledge to get through the factory into the playing card store next door i guess um, it's not really ever stated what's in the the playing card store, but they say, you know, it's going to make him rich, blah, blah, blah. And so they want to use him to get through the factory so that they can get into the trading or the playing card store without arousing the suspicions of the police. So Jack decides that he's going to help them because if this goes through he gets his cut he can set up his wife genie in a nice home just in time for their baby to be born he'll be set for life and 
unfortunately, during this planning process, on the day that this whole thing is supposed to go down, um, Jack is told by two police officers that Jeannie died, that she was testing out a baby bottle, bottle heater, it short-circuited, and the electric shock killed her. They say it was a one-in-a-million chance, and there was nothing they could have done to, pre to prevent it. So Jack, who is despondent at this point, he wants to back out of the deal because there's no point, but the mobsters strong-arm him into keeping with the plan. So Jack, who is given this red mask, this red helmet, to conceal his identity and a red cape on top of this, um, this black tux and a bow tie that he would always wear for his uh, comedy, his stand-up comedy nights. He leads these two gangsters through this, uh, through his old uh, workplace, this Ace Chemical Factory, and they're beset upon by this security guard. And Jack makes this comment that maybe, you know, it's been a while since he's worked there, so maybe they up the security, and a shootout ensues. Uh, both of the gangsters are killed by uh, security, and Jack, who is under this guise as the Red Hood, unbeknownst to him, of course, uh, makes his escape across a balcony where he is pursued by the Batman, who at this point is very early in his career. And Jack, in a struggle, is knocked off of the... basically trips on himself and falls over the railing into a vat of chemicals. And he is shunted through the chemicals into some, uh, I forget the name of them, the exhaust pipes is the wrong name for them, but uh, pipes that basically lead out to like a landfill area, and he emerges having been contaminated with this, uh, with these chemicals, along with the, uh, the red helmet keeping them in, scarring and burning his face. And as soon as he pulls the helmet off, he sees his reflection in the water, and his hair has turned green, his skin has turned pale bleach white, his lips have turned red, and he has become the Joker. And it's through all of this, losing his wife, being forced into this situation, and now on top of this, that breaks him, that cracks him. This one bad day has turned Jack into Joker. Coming back to present day, uh, Batman finally uh, catches up to the Joker, ends in a battle. Um, the tussle ends up taking them both outside, and the Joker gets his hands on a gun. And it's this, again, it's a haunting visual, it's an amazing piece of art. It's this one smaller frame of the Joker finally turning around at this reveal that he has this gun. He fires it and a little flag pops out that says click, click, click. So Joker tosses the gun aside, tells Batman, you know, go ahead, beat the crap out of me, have everyone talk about how great you are. Let's, let's get this part of the little song and dance over with. And Batman says, no, like, this is what I was trying to talk about when I went to see you in Arkham. Like, I don't want to hurt you. I want to rehabilitate you. Like, we don't have to keep doing this because one of us is going to end up dead. 
and he reaches out to the Joker and he says like I can help you we can make this work and in this amazing moment of clarity the Joker looks at him and says no it's too late I'm too late you're too late we've gone on for this for too long there's no saving me and he says this reminds me of a joke and I'm gonna do my best to tell this joke it's gonna be awful so please um, forgive me for that so he says <clears throat> he says and I quote so there are these two guys in this in insane asylum and one day these two lunatic lunatics decide that they don't want to live there anymore so they head up to the roof and they see that just across this narrow gap is freedom they can see out into the city there's a rooftops just lining up to their new lives so the first first guy hops across the gap no problem the second guy though he he won't he's afraid of falling so the first guy goes oh hey i have an idea i'll shine my flashlight across the gap you can just walk on the beam and you won't have to jump and the guy says, whoa, 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 wait a minute, what do you think, I'm crazy? You'd just turn it off halfway across. Again, forgive me for my really stinted uh, delivery of that joke, but um, it's, it's an interesting story that it, it's an interesting joke because it really parallels the two of them and how one of them won't make the leap. And... Joker starts to laugh about it, and surprisingly, Batman starts to laugh about it too. And he reaches out and puts his hands either on Joker's shoulders or around his neck, and the panels pan away from that scene down to the ground where rain is falling, with sirens and police in the background, they're approaching, and that is the end of the story. We don't really know what happens next. We don't really know what happens, what Batman was doing when he was reaching for the Joker. It's very ambiguous. It's a very ambiguous ending. So that is the main plot of the story. Now, two years ago, DC announced that they would be doing a direct-to-DVD adaptation of the story. Uh, we would be getting the iconic voices of Kevin Conroy as Batman and Mark Hamill as the Joker, as well as Tara Strong as Batgirl, and all of them reprising their roles from the original Batman the Animated Series. And there was a lot of hype around this film. Uh, they even did a one-night-only uh, theatrical viewing of it. They released it in theaters for a one-night special event, I went and saw it, I remember I uh, just looked up the date, and it was actually a week from tomorrow. It was July 25th, um, kind of making me think that I did this episode a week early. Weird. Uh, anyway, so I remember going and see it, seeing it, I remember being really excited about it, and when I left the theater afterwards, I could not help but think about how different it felt viewing the film than reading the story. And I know, again, that sounds very uh, hipster. It sounds very, um, well, actually. But it's, it's a different experience. It just is. 
Uh, I can't explain it. I'm going to try to, but <laughs> um, the film took a lot of liberties with the story. Um, I have a couple things here in my notes that I would like to compare and contrast between the uh, original comic and the film. Uh, the story originally was only, I believe, 48 pages. Uh, I really I appreciated all of the really uh, cinematic takes on stories, especially when it came to the transitions. The transitions from the main story into the flashbacks in the original comic were placed really well. You would see a panel of... Um, the Joker looking down and it's a shot of him looking at his reflection in a puddle and the very next panel would be of Jack looking at himself and his reflection in a pond. Like, they took the time, Brian Boland did, to really line it up and to really line those transitions so they felt natural. Uh, the art was haunting. I mentioned that a couple times. Terrifying at times. The image of the Joker waiting for uh, Barbara Gordon to open the door. She opens the door, and it's this iconic, iconic image of him in a uh, wide-brimmed hat with a Hawaiian shirt and holding a pistol. And it is, it's something that you immediately can picture in your mind when you think of the Joker. Uh, and the biggest difference, I think, would be the, the ending. But we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, the film, like I said, takes a lot of liberties with, this, with the source material. Uh, the biggest being a almost 30-minute prologue. Uh, this is a story that is completely uh, unique. It, I've, I want to say it was an adaptation of an original Batgirl like annual story way back uh, in the mid '80s. I want to say, but um, the story was not in the original Killing Joke story. Uh, it deals with Batgirl fighting this guy who is like this obsessed stalker villain. Um, and dealing with her relationship with Batman, um, there's uh, there's a lot of I have a lot of feelings about this prologue. Uh, the animation is gorgeous, but the dialogue is awful. Uh, you can tell that the prologue and the main story were written by two different people because the just the the verbiage that they use in the prologue is. I don't want to say it's bordering on juvenile, but it's like, it doesn't have the gravitas that the main story does. And when Batman starts speaking a certain way, when the uh, the second act begins, I guess, when the actual story kicks in, there's like a really sharp contrast. And it's almost, for me at least, it's almost, um, almost takes me out of the story. But what the prologue does essentially is to set up uh, Barbara Gordon as the main character of the story, which I really wasn't a fan of. Uh, it essentially turns it into a Batgirl story, not a Joker story. And with that, it puts you in the point of view of Barbara Gordon. The, the movie even starts off with a narration by her saying, you know, I'm, I'm sure this wasn't how you pictured the starting or who you pictured the starting with, but basically bear with us and i'm not sure if like them realizing and knowing that hey 
this isn't what people are paying for, but we're going to give it to them anyway is better. But anyway, um, the the characters are weird. The uh, Barbara gets this weird, like, sassy gay friend who works with her in the library, uh, who is really just there to give her, like, zingers and one-liners, and it doesn't really develop as a character. Uh, and the... Okay, so I've been putting it off, but, like, the biggest change for this is the sex scene. There is a sex scene between Batgirl and Batman on a rooftop. It's unwarranted, it's weird, it... I remember sitting in the theater and watching it and people actively booed it or laughed at it and it was just it pulls you out of the story again and it really the the prologue really kind of sets up Barbara as this unlikable protagonist and that's not who she is and I think it really it dumbed down the character to be honest and it's it's interesting to me that they decided to go that way that direction with it uh, the film was given a, a an R rating, um, though the story itself, even though it is uh, graphic, it is horrible, the things that happen in it are atrocious, it didn't really garner an R rating. Um, it was no more brutal than uh, Ben Affleck's Batman was in Batman v Superman, and that was a PG-13 movie. Um, but I, I digress. It's, it's weird, the... The dialogue is stiff, the characters are stiff, the animation's gorgeous, but it doesn't... Gorgeous animation doesn't make up for crappy writing. And the story really serves as this weird, um... Well, this is just a day in the life of Barbara Gordon before her entire life goes to hell. And it's accompanied by a post credit scene where it shows her becoming Oracle, which was fine, which was great. I love Oracle as a character, but they're never going to follow up on this, and that's the terrible part of it. Um, for those of you who would be watching the film for the first time, there were some people, I remember when we went to see the movie, that had never read the Killing Joke comic, but after watching it and seeing the post credit scene, they're like, oh cool, so we're going to get a second story of Barbara Gordon as Oracle, and it's that's not how it is. So slapping on this... Um, this quote-unquote hopeful post-credit scene where Barbara Gordon seems to take control of her life after all of the emotional distress she's been put through with her weird uh, relationship, I guess, with Batman, getting paralyzed and finally taking hold of her life and becoming Oracle. It it comes off as really cheap because there's not there's not going to be follow-up to it because there wasn't a follow-up to the Killing Joke story. And, I mean, that is that is the problem with adapting stories that led into ongoing titles, because comics keep going. Uh, that's a problem that, for instance, The Dark Knight Returns didn't have to deal with because it was a self-contained story. So, anyway, I, I know I went off on a tangent there, but... Um, one of the other big changes between uh, the film and the book was the ending, because the ending was, for me at least, a lot less ambiguous, uh, because it, it ends the same way with Joker telling that two guys joke, that two guys in the insane asylum joke, and Batman reaching over at him, but because we have audio and we can hear them laughing, 
we get a more, for me at least, definitive ending because you hear both the Joker and Batman laughing and then as it pans away from them towards the rain pattering on the ground, uh, Joker stops laughing. He stops laughing, but Batman continues to laugh. And Kevin Conroy laughing as Batman is one of the creepiest things, and I think it's amazing. Uh, he did it in the original animated series, and it was haunting then, it's haunting now, and it really, for me, shows that he killed the Joker. There was There's a lot of debate on the ending whether um, they were just sharing a laugh in the rain, kind of... Uh, basically giving in to this idea that they're going to be doing this forever uh there's the on the other side of the coin there is this idea that batman when he's reaching over he strangles the joker to death and so that's why it's called the killing joke so for me i fall in the camp of he killed the joker uh, especially if you watch this film but um yeah, this this ending really gives it a definitive, less ambiguous finale to their story. And it's kind of posited as the... I've, I've been saying posited a lot in this episode, and I just realized that. Um, sorry. But uh, it, it kind of sets itself up as this... as the last Batman and Joker story. So... Uh, I'm looking at my notes, and... Oh! I have to talk about Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill. Uh, Mark Hamill is the Joker. He he will always be the Joker, but he puts in as much as he can to these characters. He puts in as much as he can as the Joker. He puts in as much as he can as Jack, and you really see him shine in this film. Uh, I wish I could see the same for Kevin Conroy. Uh, he is a victim of that 30-minute prologue where his dialogue is stiff, it's jilted, and he doesn't really come across as good as he should his line delivery during the actual killing joke story is as good as anyone could do it uh but this is not what i would call the strongest uh the strongest performance from him i'm sorry but i have seen him do better i know he can do better and i was really kind of disappointed that the two of them didn't get to come at each other at their best uh it's not completely uh conroy's fault but it just sucks <laughs> so those are the um those that's my uh compare and contrast on the film versus the book if you have any other things that you found different between the two please let me know feel free but we are going to move right along to this new uh joker origin film uh, we know that Joaquin Phoenix is officially signed on to play the Joker. Um, we know very little beyond that, but we know that this will be a Joker origin story. Um, it's being headed up, it's being produced, I believe, by uh, Scorsese. I'm pretty sure that's what I heard. If I'm wrong, please let me know. But I think that was one of the main reasons that he was kind of scouting uh, Leonardo DiCaprio originally to play the part which I think would have been great, but I don't really see him as the Joker. I think I can easily see uh, crazy Joaquin Phoenix getting more into that character. Um, there have been, mind you, unconfirmed rumors that this is going to be an 80s-style crime thriller, which I am all for. I love that. That's what Scorsese does best. Uh, 
we also know that this is going to be a standalone story. This is not going to be part of the DCEU. Uh, this is not an origin of Jared Leto's Joker. In fact, Jared Leto has his own Joker, Joker solo film for some reason that he's going to be doing. I don't know. Um, I think he's he could be a good Joker, but he hasn't been given good material so far, and getting your own solo film is not how to do it. But... Um, we don't really know how this is going to fit. We know that it's not going to be part of the DCEU, but we don't know how this is going to fit for the uh, for the vision of the DC film industry going forward. So my hope, personally, and I've told people about this before, is that this is the start of a cinematic multiverse. We already know that the multiverse is a thing. Uh, the DC TV shows have positive ah there it is again have uh really set it up as like the multiverses out there uh you can explain away any dc property as being part of this multiverse so they all exist at, not in the same world but all they all exist in the same multiverse including i think the dceu so my pitch for this was that it could be a cinematic multiverse and that you set out all these standalone stories like Matt Reeves's uh, Batman solo film, which may or may not have a new Batman. Um, you set out all these uh, different stories that are joined in this cinematic multiverse, but not directly uh, connected to each other. And if you want to leave it as is, great. They're all these standalone stories. But if you want to make a connected cinematic universe, you use these as test, as essentially, you know, like pilots. You send these out, you see how people react to them. If they don't like it, that's okay. You move on to the next project, you recast the role until you have like a set uh, group of actors to characters that everyone is happy with. And it's very risky for a studio to do that. I still think it would be worth it. And it would be a different approach than Marvel takes, and I think that the DC Universe needs to be as different from the Marvel Cinematic Universe as they can. So, whew, that was a lot. That was a lot I went through. Um, that is the retrospective on The Killing Joke. Uh, going through and reading the story again and watching the film again uh, really kind of... I guess uh, gave me a different perspective on it because it is still an iconic story, but before rereading and rewatching them again, I really I did put it as one of my top Batman stories. But as time has gone on and I've read more and more Batman stories, it's it's not in my top ten. Um, if you would like an episode on my top ten Batman stories, please let me know, and I would love to do that episode for you. But this film just falls short of the mark, and the comic doesn't fare much better. But that is my thoughts on not just the Killing Joke, but also the Walking Phoenix news about the uh, Joker origin movie. If I missed anything, please let me know. You can feel free to reach out to me, and you can do that on a couple different platforms. Uh, you can send me an email because I'm an old man and I still read emails at geeksplained at gmail.com you can also tweet me at geeksplainedpod that's at geeksplainedpod feel free to give us a follow as well we love the support uh, 
I have gotten a ton of notifications of traffic through uh, the podcast now that we are on multiple platforms. Uh, if you're listening to this on any of the new platforms that we just got onto, iTunes, uh, Stitcher, TuneIn, uh, Google Play. If you are listening to this on any of those platforms, thank you so much for jumping in with us. And I hope to give you more uh, content as we go on. And for those of you who have stuck with us since the SoundCloud days when we were um, exclusively on SoundCloud, I say that like that was years ago. It was like maybe a month ago. Um, thank you for sticking it out with us. And I hope to continue to keep you on as part of the uh, Geek Explained family. So that is going to be it for me. Feel free to reach out to me for any reason, whether you want to talk comics, you want to talk uh, future episodes of the podcast, uh, you want to talk about where else you would like to see this podcast on. Uh, I would at l- some point love to get it on Spotify. I know that's a far away goal at this point, but that is a goal that I am shooting for at some point. And that is going to do it for me. If I sound a little tired today, I apologize. Um, It has been a long day. I'm getting ready for a trip down to Arizona, where I'm from, to take care of some errands as well as to get some appointments done that I need to get done before uh, August. So that is what the rest of my week looks like. Don't fret, there will still be an episode of the podcast next week. We'll be on time, hopefully just as this one is, hopefully. Fingers crossed. (laughs) So um, let me know what you think. Let me know uh, what your favorite Joker story is and how you rank the killing joke among them. But for Geeksplain, this is Eric Azana. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next time.